That's for me. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all. Good to see you, uh, good to see you again. Leith and I were gone for two weeks. Some of you might know that. We were in Tennessee for Thanksgiving, visiting her family. Uh, so, um, so that was fun, but great to be back. We missed you all. Uh, we're in John 15 today, so I think Peter was mentioning a bit about John uh, before that last song, but if you have a Bible or a phone app, want to turn to John chapter 15 to follow along there, uh, please feel free to do so, but this will all be on screen here in just a second. Um, we're continuing uh, this uh, Last Supper discourse, essentially. Uh, we sometimes call it the Farewell Discourse, chapters 14 to 17, which is uh, a segment of like teaching and encouragement, uh, sayings from Jesus that occur during uh, slash right after the Last Supper. So, uh, it, but it's really kind of all one and the same. His, his arrest, his trial and crucifixion is imminent. Jesus knows this. Uh, he's basically orchestrating the whole thing. More on that later in the series. Uh, but he has a few things to say before uh, Judas comes with the, the arresters, uh, the, the centurions, the, the, um, the ones who will drag him away to be uh, put on trial unjustly. Uh, one of those things uh, is his teaching on bearing fruit. Uh, in a lot of ways, this is a continuation of some things he's been saying uh, for a few weeks now, uh, a few weeks worth of sermons, and you'll, you'll see some repetition. Uh, but this is a, a new metaphor as well. It's a very carefully chosen analogy or metaphor, um, one that the New Testament elsewhere is not shy about repeating. Uh, this idea of how Christians are like a plant. Uh, church, whole church communities together are like a plant that uh, bear fruit uh, at God's bidding, uh, sort of uh, by his will and by his work within us, and the Spirit's work, his presence in us. Um, much more than his just kind of, uh, you know, um, his asking of us to do these things. It's kind of this almost proclamation that this is, this is uh, part of our salvation. So we'll get to that and talk about the differences there. All right, so kind of have that in mind though as we go, this idea of bearing fruit. Notice how he uh, kind of discusses this, how he shapes this idea. Uh, you know, again, it's a very careful thing. Jesus is very intentional, if you didn't know that. Uh, this is not random, uh, but all of these things are here for, for a purpose, so. John 15, verse 1. Let's read the whole thing here uh, in full to begin. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, so basically, kind of, if you were to boil down a lot of this, there's a ton going on here, and we'll come back to most of it. Uh, boil down what Jesus is kind of exhorting and saying, uh, it is this call to love and to bear fruit and to abide in Jesus. So verse 12 here again, if, if you haven't noticed by now in this segment of John, uh, maybe you are today, that this kind of uh, intra-church love thing, uh, so Christians loving one another, is a really big deal for Jesus. This is, I think you could say, the premier Christian ethic apart from belief. He wants us to, lo- uh, to love one another in the shadow of his love. He wants his love for us first to kind of spill out horizontally. He wants uh, his love for us to shape our love for each other so it might inform it and be demonstrated by it. And today, he's kind of doubling down, maybe even tripling down because this has come up so much in recent weeks and in recent parts of John. But he also switches metaphors to this fruit I- bearing fruit idea in order to further make his point and to argue where the power for this kind of loving comes from, this kind of fruit bearing. Uh, the metaphor, though, is troublesome uh, in a lot of ways. It's actually really good news, and we'll talk about that too, but also troublesome in that it's very abstract. Uh, so it's maybe frustrating for moralists and frustrating for those who like concrete to-do lists because this, is, this metaphor is not measurable. You can't measure the idea of fruit bearing. It just kind of is or it isn't, um, and it puts us, and it puts us Christians uh, in the passive role right off the bat. And so the metaphor is essentially to boil it down: three things: God is the gardener, God the Father, Jesus is the vine, uh, the main shoot that comes up, and we are the branches that branch off of of the vine, drawing life from the vine, and of course by the hand of the gardener um, as well. Okay, but here's the catch. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself, verse 4. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And so we're kind of, in a sense, called to bear fruit, but also told we can't bear fruit. This is textbook Christianity here. You need something that you can't produce. You need something, you're kind of uh, vacant towards something, you don't have a thing that you can't produce. Then the solution is Jesus himself, because as he says uh, elsewhere in the passage, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing, not one thing. It reminded me of uh, earlier in the series when John the Baptist in chapter 3 said, a person cannot receive one thing unless it's given him from heaven. A person cannot receive one thing in life, no matter how hard or, uh, or little you work. It, it, in one sense, doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. Whether he comes through our work or works around it, it's this constant stream of God giving, 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 giving. Uh, not one single thing is received in life unless it's given, given from him. And that includes fruit, this idea, right? Of, this idea of uh, fruit that, that, uh, cr- that the branches bear, that, that we as Christians bear. Um, that's not something that comes from us it, it, because that's a thing that, that fits underneath the umbrella of, of all things uh, is this idea of fruit. And so it includes it too. So this is not, this passage then is not so much a call to just um, kind of rotely uh, sit down and listen to Jesus' teachings and then just to do them on our own strength. Uh, As much as it's a call to abide 
and to remain with Jesus, like a branch to a vine, to sort of stay attached to him. Uh, you could say, look at it this way, that the teacher-student relationship is never defined by a branch-vine metaphor. That would be odd and even maybe a little bit inappropriate. Uh, teaching only goes so far, but Jesus goes much further because he's not just a teacher, he's a savior. And so the bearing fruit analogy then puts everything on the gardener and the vine. To just, and we'll talk more about this, but just to start there, that's important to see. The bearing fruit metaphor then, this is kind of where it becomes like problematic in one sense for type A's maybe, uh, or driven people that want to do something. Uh, the bearing fruit analogy puts everything on the gardener and the vine, but nothing on the branches. Branches can't do anything uh, on their own. They just kind of receive the gift uh, and the life that uh, the gardener and the vine put into them. Uh, Jason McKelly uh, wrote an article on the fruit of the Spirit a while ago. I'm going to read a segment of it today. It's really helpful. Uh, it's actually on the fruit of the Spirit passage from Galatians 5, if you've read that before. If you haven't, um, it's, it's a letter written to a New Testament a set of New Testament churches in the region of Galatia. And uh, Paul just writes about these, the, these aspects of the Spirit, kind of what it looks like when the Spirit indwells a person, what, what characteristics kind of as fruits kind of come. And so it's a list, things like kindness and peace and patience and gentleness and love and, and other things as well. There's, I think, nine things. But um, so anyway, picking up then mid-article, he says, um, when we read this list, we may feel as if we're being told what we should be or what we ought to do. As a Christian, you should be generous. As a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you should be patient and kind. You must become more gentle and joy-filled. But this list is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's proclamation, not exhortation. In other words, Paul does not say become more patient. He says the fruit of the Spirit is patience. To turn the fruit of the Spirit into aspirations is to stumble back into the law. And as law, it just reinforces the message you hear 3,000 times a day. You are not good enough. There's always more money you could have given. There's always someone you could have shown more patience to. There's always days or weeks when you have no joy. But your lack of these, these things doesn't make you an incomplete Christian. Because notice Paul's passive imagery. He says, fruit of the Spirit, not works of the flesh or even works of faith. The opposite of vice isn't our virtue. The opposite of vice is the vine of which we are but branches. What you do not hear in any vineyard is the sound of anyone's effort except the gardener's. Fruit doesn't force itself to grow. It's the byproduct of a plant made healthy. So to think that you're responsible for cultivating joy and kindness in your life is to miss Paul's entire point. His point that apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ, you are a dead plant. But in him, you've been made alive. The fruit of the Spirit is the work heaven is doing in you on earth. All right, lots of helpful words here and maybe a paradigm shifter too for some of us, and that's great. But one thing I want to focus on is this uh, idea of the opposite of vice and sin isn't virtue. It's the vine. It's Jesus. This is something I, uh, I think that Christianity has the audacity to say, is that the opposite of, of evil isn't just good uh, in, in our sort of, in God's economy or God's way of thinking. The opposite of evil, though it is in some sense good, it's, um, it's not what we're called unto. What we're called unto is Jesus. We're called unto the vine to be attached to him as a person and what he does for us through his death and resurrection. Hence the call here to abide and to remain in him. That's really then the call in John 15. The call is to 
abide or remain with Jesus, not to bear fruit, but to abide with Christ, from which fruit comes. We can't bear fruit. We're just branches. Uh, We can only rest in knowing that he has promised to be with us and to give us life uh, and um, to be the source of our good works. And so you could actually say the only way to bear fruit is to believe that you can't bear fruit. The only way to bear fruit is to believe that you can't. Because if you believe you can, you'll tend to circumvent the idea of Jesus being the vine. You'll graduate from the gospel. You'll think that sanctification now is the main job of the Christian, not the the gospel you heard about at conversion. And so you'll leave the vine, and you'll think that your life is about Christian self-improvement, some form of that. Uh, And and when you do that, you're killing yourself. You're not actually producing fruit at all. And so when we abide, though, then fruit just has to come. That's the good news, uh, is to abide in Jesus, to constantly nourish ourselves on the bread of his grace Um, ourselves, but with other Christians, uh, taking communion at church, in community with other people, constantly nourishing ourselves in the bread of his grace, uh, the word of his gospel. According to John 15, when we do that, fruit will just start to grow. It'll just happen. It's impossible for it not to. In fact, if this is true, to take it one step further, then part of the, the grace in this passage for us, for Christians, those of us at least who abide with Jesus, is to know that God is already bearing fruit in your life. It's, it's already happening. Like if you've been a Christian for more than a day or more than a second, like fruit is already happening. This isn't like people tend to read this, we tend to read this passage sometimes and think it's just future oriented as though it's just this kind of starting point. Well, now that I've read it, now the rest of my life, you know, sort of needs to be lived in light of this and it's a test almost. But it's not what it's saying. It's saying if Jesus is the source, then if you've been a Christian for any length of time whatsoever, the good news is God has been bearing fruit in your life, whether you see it or whether you don't, whether you've worked hard for it or whether you haven't. It just, it's happened. Those who abide with him are bearing, are bearing fruit, especially the fruit of love and sacrificial love for other believers. So the message is not then bear fruit or be burned or prove you're a Christian with your good deeds or be cut off. The message of those who believe in Jesus is He has already borne fruit in your life. He, as the gardener, is at work in you. And so you'll never be cut off and thrown in the fire because of the work of the Spirit in your life, manifested by your belief in him, but worked for by his dirty, calloused, and nail-pierced hands. I would say, uh, on a personal note, I was thinking about this this past week, about how, um, I mean, pick any fruit of the Spirit. I was thinking about kindness for some reason. Uh, It could be anything, and and you guys can think the same way about yourself. and I'm sharing about myself because these are things rattling in my own brain about this. Uh, otherwise, I'd maybe share about Aletha or, you know, Aletha's service, servant-heartedness or Spencer's generosity or something. Um, but I was thinking about kindness in my own life, and I was thinking, I don't think I've ever once in my Christian life woken up in the morning and thought, I need to be kind today. Like, I usually think about brushing my teeth or listening to the news, you know, or something for a bit. But it's not, I, I don't think I've ever once thought that, but I am kind sometimes. Uh, so the question is like, where does that fruit come from when I do have kindness? By trying to be kind? Not really. Maybe sometimes, but not really. More so in my life, it's just by being with Jesus and basking in his kindness toward me and letting his life-giving spirit pulse through my veins by my belief in the gospel. And so a lot of times, again, it happens without my thinking about it. And I think that's true for all of you, too, whether you might realize this or not. Um, it's a byproduct idea. A lot of the fruit in your life you've never seen. 
you know. Uh, a lot of the good things God has done through you, you'll, you'll never know about. It's actually really good news, isn't it? Like, he's done more in your life than you've realized. And in one sense, he doesn't want you to know it. He doesn't want you to realize it because that would be sometimes uh, to take more credit for it, you know, and to kind of just live as though it's a running list in your life that you're grading yourself on. But instead, a lot of the fruit comes without us even realizing it. Other people might. Other people will see it. Other people will benefit from it, maybe, and see God's grace in it and, 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 and so forth. Um, but, but I hope that encourages you. I, it's, it's to stick with this metaphor, it's very much true. This is certainly the case. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever grown zucchini before. Has anyone tried to grow zucchini in their backyard? Some of you are like, no way. You know? <laughs> but others of you are, yeah, I, we've tried it uh, in our little baby garden and it ceased when we realized it becomes the size of the moon after, you know, two days. But um, yes, gardening helps. But in this metaphor in John 15, we are not the gardener. You are not the gardener of your life. You are not responsible to bear fruit in your life. Please hear that. You are not responsible. Is, is the branch responsible for bearing fruit or is, is the gardener? This metaphor is all about God and what he does. It's about Jesus and the life he gives through his shed blood for us, right? And so when it comes to zucchini, you know, um, growth as a Christian is more like going on vacation for a week and then coming home and realizing there's 10 zucchini the size of your leg sitting there. And you're like, where did that come from? And you harvest, and then there's also a couple underneath the foliage that you didn't see, but they're there anyway. And it didn't happen because you tried, it just happened because God, because the plant was at work, and the sun was at work, and the water was at work. Lise Fitzpatrick in her book, because, because He Loves Me, says, our problem is that if we don't continually remind ourselves of how Jesus has chosen, renamed, and remade us, the struggle to grow in Christian character will become nothing more than another attempt at self-improvement, and self-improvement always results in self-loathing and pride. And this is true, like, you know, outside of religion and Christianity, too, of course, but this is true when this idea gets syncretized and mixed up with Christianity, is if we, if we bypass the gospel, which we tend to do all the time, um, we just hate ourselves. Or we hate others because we're not as good as us. And this is a very biblical pattern you see. I was talking to uh, Denny Wallace after first service. He was just studying Jonah, and it reminded him of that, how Jonah just hates the Ninevites because he thinks he's better. That, that's the only place it comes from. Like, Hate and condescension comes from a works-based mindset. It's about me and what I do. And if we think we're higher, we hate. If we think we're lower, we self-hate. And uh, we, we crush ourselves. This is why the, the, the gospel is not about the law, we say. It's not about what we do, how Jesus replaces commandments with himself. He doesn't come to like re-up them, re-underline them, polish them up. He replaces them with his bloodied body, uh, Hebrews 10 says. Quoting Psalm 40, actually. So it's an Old Testament idea, too. Forecasted, prophesied, but Jesus fulfills this. Um, so with this, and I think Elisa's right, but with this in mind, look at, there's more going on here in this passage than just the fruit analogy, bearing fruit analogy. Christians are described a number of ways. Did you guys catch this? It's just in 17 verses, it's actually quite a bit. This is obviously one little segment of the whole Bible, so there's a lot more uh, we could look at, but just in this segment, we learn that Christians 
Um, and this is that proclamation idea that Jason McKelly was talking about. How the fruit of the Spirit is not aspirations or exhortations, it's proclamations. Like this is true. This is already true because of Jesus in your life. Uh, but the proclamation here is that we are clean. Not become clean, work hard to be clean, but you are. You already are. It's, it's this declaration, right? You're clean because of the words that I spoke to you, he says. You're clean because of me and my, my word of grace pronounced upon you. Uh, we are also chosen by him on the basis of love, not our works. We are also friends of Jesus, no longer servants. Beautiful image. Uh, we are in Christ. That's divine imagery. We are in Christ. He is in us. There's no distance anymore between us. Uh, that idea becomes um, a, a large part of how the early church evangelized pagan cultures. They, they led out with God is very much closer to you than you think. And when you believe God is closer to you, you stop trying to travel to him with your goodness. So the early Christians were saying, God is very close to you. He's near. Uh, you don't have to build a bronze statue anymore that, in, a, that, uh, in a likeness that you think represents him. You don't have to run a marathon. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to be good. You have to receive his travel to you, his suffering, his calloused feet, his willingness to go the length and to bear the brunt which is what comes after that initial statement, right? That's how you fill in the gospel when you start that way. This is like from Acts 17, if you're wondering, places like that. God is close. But as Christians, he's even closer. He's, because we believe, he's inside. So who are you trying to impress? If he's, there's literally no distance between you and God anymore, Christian. Who are you trying to impress? You're loved. He's done everything to come to you. Rest believe, receive, and adore, and then fruit will come. We also see this uh, idea of we are ones who can ask God whatever we want. Well, that's kind of cool, right? Also confusing. I think sometimes when, when we read this, we start thinking about, well, what does that mean, right? Like, does that mean I can ask him for healing from my chronic illnesses? Can I ask for a million bucks? You know, can I ask for, um, you know, that person who cut me off to just run a Run, run his car, you know, side of the road or something, and uh, or whatever. Like, and the answer to that is no. Um, but the but I think that's not the right question. I, I think that the question we should be asking with this passage is, what kind of person is that spoken to? What kind of person in life hears the message from someone else? Ask anything you want, and I'll do it for you. And the answer is, someone who's deeply, deeply loved. Right? Like, what does Tim Keller say uh, uh, about this? Uh, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. Uh, something like that. Uh, we have that kind of access. But, but think about it even more than that. Think about um, the, the kind of person that says, anything you want, I'll do it for you, really, really loves someone. Right? This is like the thing that husbands say to other wives. Anything you want, I'll do it for you. You know, or like we kind of joke sometimes things that Aletha wants uh, in the yard or something or the house, and it's like, um, I adore doing that, right? Or uh, you do it for me too, but just like, it's, it's like th there's this love there, right? That, that, that like, of course, like I'd want to do things that, that my spouse wants and so forth. Maybe, maybe parents to kids too. We don't do everything for kids, they ask. We say no because it's going to hurt you or something, but, um, but that's really what I want you guys to see in this. Actually, 
This actually comes up elsewhere in the Old Testament. Remember who is told this? Ask for whatever you want, and you'll get it. Esther, Esther gets it from King Ahasuerus, right? So the point is, this is a marriage. It happens in the context of a marriage where husband says, ask for whatever you want, and he loves her. That's why he says it. Why else would you say that? He loves her. And so it's, in the context of marriages, this happens. And so this is what I really want you guys to see. Not like, you know, man, can I ask God for a Lamborghini? Like that's not, fine if you want to like reflect on that, that's fine. But that's not really the main thing. The main thing is we are loved. We are so okay with God because of what Jesus is about to do by dying for our sins that we can ask whatever we want. We have that kind of access. It is not something to read over. It's not something to, sn- to sneeze at. This is... This is uh, the, the epitome of love, romantic love, deep love, sacrificial love, willing to spend everything on a person, uh, love. And these are all, uh, so the point is to this, uh, these are all, pre- if you're a Christian, these are all present tense realities for you, even on your worst days. They are not future rewards if we just work hard enough at bearing fruit ourselves. So, Fruit comes not by thinking about bearing fruit, but by being with Jesus in constant reflection on the gospel of grace. That's where it comes from. As a branch, it comes from being attached to the vine of Jesus' death and resurrection with his people, uh, with his word in front of us, in prayer, with open hands. Um, The spirit where it comes as the wind blows, John 3 says. We can't quantify it. We can't capture it in a bottle. We can't plan for it. It surprises us. This is what grace does. It messes with our timelines and how we quantify things. And again, Christianity has kind of that audacity almost to say, kindness will come when I want it to come. Uh, It it comes less when you try and more when I work. And uh, that will humble the heck out of us if we actually realize that and, and believe that. Uh, and that's actually a pretty good place to be as, as Christians. Uh, over ourselves and digging our heels deep into the sands of the gospel uh, on the beach of salvation. So, all right, we can actually ask another question here. Um, and that's just, again, kind of how though? Uh, what greater force were, you know, lies behind all of this fruit imagery, all of these statements, you know, uh, here about, how are we made clean? How are we made friends? How are we chosen? Uh, how, are we, how do we bear fruit? How are we linked up with Jesus and made one with him? How do we become his bride? Um, you know, how, how's all that happen? And I think in one sense we've already talked about it. The, the gardener is the worker here, alone. But, but the passage gets more specific than that. It says, Jesus says in Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then later he says, you are my friends. So it makes it clear that he's talking about himself, right? This can happen person to person, Christian to Christian as well. And that's kind of in the spirit of verse 12. He wants that kind of love in in his churches. But he's actually talking about, I'm about to be arrested and to lay my life down for you. And that's That's the center of Christianity. It's not your love for me, not your love for each other. It's my love for you and what I'm about to spend. And um, and you're my friends. So he's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to lay my life down for you. That's the how. 
Um, when Jesus dies for sinners, he dies for broken branches, sinners who are separated from God uh, so that they might be brought back in and not burned. Um, even more, I think the additional twist here is, is seen best by way of Daniel 9, 26, which is a prophecy about Jesus' words before his arrival. Uh, it says, after that time, the anointed one, or Jesus, the Messiah, will be cut off, uh, speaking of his death. So maybe you notice some similar language here with John 15 too. Uh, the point is, in the context of a warning about being cut off from salvation, we're reminded that Jesus is the one who is cut off for you and me. This isn't random. Like, Jesus didn't like pull this metaphor out of, the, out of thin air and say, wow, I didn't realize I was accidentally quoting Daniel 9. Like, that's not how he works, right? This is actually completely planned. Um, when you ask the question of where does this imagery come up elsewhere in the Bible, Daniel 9 is one of those places that we must go to. These, the context for John 15 is Daniel 9. Not just John 14 and John 16. It's Daniel 9. It's the whole Bible. And when you see that the promised one is not just promised, but he's promised to suffer and die for his people, and that will usher in an era of peace and salvation and, and hope for eternal life, um, then John 15 starts to make even more sense. It's this final twist that Jesus becomes a dead branch. Jesus is even thrown away into the fire that we might be grafted on. Uh, to, to mix metaphors a bit, he, Jesus is the heir of the royal family who gives up his seat for us at the table. So there's a place for us. Uh, he does, does that through his, through his death and resurrection. Uh, it's, it's actually John 12. I spoke to this as well, if you were here for this or remembered this, but uh, similar metaphor, Jesus, agrarian, again, but same idea. He says, Truly, truly, I, say, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it, the seed, not us, but this, Jesus is the seed, Jesus bears much fruit. He brings life. And so he's speaking of himself. In both metaphors, the branch is cut off and falls to the ground and dies and is buried, you could say. The seed falls off the plant to the ground and dies. Jesus comes off the cross into the ground and is buried. You see, all of these things mean the same thing. It's sort of like Jesus is fulfilling the same imagery about cut off and about death to show that this is where fruit comes from. Something has to die first. There is no way to bear fruit apart from death. Jesus had to die for sinners. Jesus had to be a substitute. Jesus bore the dark parts of this passage. And that's, um, that's what I want to encourage you guys with here is in this last part because this can be kind of a scary passage. I don't know if it has ever been for you or even this morning just upon a first reading. But, you know, when you see branches that are broken off and burned, um, which is an allusion to hell, it can be, or, you, or even just like the idea of that you feel this impulse to, well, I have to bear fruit now, uh, and you feel, I'm already tired, and I suck at everything I do, or whatever you think. Like, it's hard. If, if you think that, though, I think we miss the point. We miss the point of, Paul's, or, or of Jesus' teachings here. The point is, ultimately, though there is a warning for Christians, coexisting with that is that Jesus took on the dark parts of this passage for you. He was already cut off so you don't have to worry about being cut off. 
He was already burned, so we don't have to worry about being burned. He was already separated from his father on the cross, so we don't have to worry about being separated. This is classic textbook substitution. And I said first service too, but when you read these things, these teachings, even if it's not immediately apparent, look for where there's pain in a passage. Look for where there's substitution. Look for where there's suffering. And then ask the question, how does Jesus, t- or judgment, how does Jesus take on that himself? So that even though there's a warning, the ultimate warning is, are you attached to Jesus or not? That's really the question. Do you remain with him or not? Because those who don't are cut off and burned, but those who are, well, he was already cut off. So it's by grace we're saved uh, and that he bears the fruit, uh, not, not us. So in conclusion, I, I, would just, I would just say that to you guys. Um, I was actually talking to someone um, at church about this this week who needed to hear this. I need to, need to hear this today. Um, but the idea of it really is enough to abide in Jesus. That really is enough. That really is all you need. There is nothing more than Jesus. There is nothing more than his life-giving vine. There is nothing more than his death and resurrection but abide, remain in him. I would also say, uh, pray that he will produce fruit in your life. That's a great prayer. Pray that he would help you to be enamored with the gospel, surprised by grace, that you'd never get over the fact that God became a man in order to die in your place for your sins, disbeliefs, and self-promotions. Because if you do get over that, that's when you're cut off, because you leave the vine. You sort sort of like self-cut yourself off at that point. If we get over that gospel, over that vine, um, over that grace that God works for as the gardener, that's when we actually cut off. That's when, that's when dangers arise. Um, I'd also say here too, uh, this is a whole other sermon, but I'll just give you a, a quick thing here. Um, saying remain with Jesus is basically the same thing as saying remain with the church. Like there is a reason why All this stuff here is mixed up with Jesus saying, love one another. You cannot remain with Jesus without remaining with a church family. Like, you just can't. And I know that we're all in different spots here. Some of you might not be Christians yet. Some of you are in between churches. Just hear that broadly, though. Hear that broad encouragement here that that to remain with Jesus is to be around other Christians. It's to remain connected with other, because we're his body. Jesus says, you all, all you are Christians here today, and myself included, we are the body of Christ mystically, somehow, like to each other. And so if we leave that, it's close, very close, not quite the same thing, but very close to leaving Jesus altogether. It's why uh, maybe many of you have seen this, I've seen this, uh, people that leave the church eventually leave Jesus. Like they think they can kind of live without him, uh, without the church, but they can't. And they start to listen to lies and entertain false doctrine and get offended by things they were normally not offended by before. Um, they listen to the world. They love their sin more than, or they love Egypt more than the promised land, that kind of idea from the Bible. Um, and then they, so it, it's, it's not, that's not a random thing. And so I think that's part of the warning too is do not leave the church. Like, that doesn't mean like here, not all you'll be here your whole life, but just saying always be a part of a local church um, because that's part of what it means to be connected to the vine of, of Christ. And then share, and sh- then share his love with them. See, because that then you have people, actual real people, with faces and names and stories, uh, that 
need to see and hear about God's love through you to them, and you need to hear it from them, right? So that's what God wants uh, for, for church families. Okay, then, then uh, to this question um, about, you know, if you worry that you aren't bearing fruit. Um, I forgot if I, yeah, I mentioned this before or not, uh, but I'll, I want to say this again if I did. Uh, if you worry that you aren't bearing fruit, I would say to you, if you're a Christian, you are bearing fruit. That's what this is saying. Okay, so don't read this passage and think, all of a sudden, no matter your past as a Christian, somehow I'm under the weight of this like clean moral slate that God gave me, and now I have to go and bear fruit from this point forward, or else I'm not a believer. That's what I think people tend to see sometimes in this passage, as though it's just about the future. And it's not. Not only is it not out of your control completely, you're... Fruit in your life is completely out of your control. Uh, it, but I would also say that even if it kind of was, and it isn't, but it's not future-based. It's, it's like, um, it's past-based. And so part of this passage is to be thankful, to thank God for bearing fruit when you haven't even wanted to bear fruit. Uh, thankful for bearing fruit when you've been passive to it, when you haven't thought much about it. Thankful for changing you from the inside out as you've learned to adore Christ all the more and been humbled and, and wrecked wrecked by his love and, and rebuilt by it in a, in a good way, and, and many other things as well. Um, so, again, so again, don't read this and think in your mind, it's a test. It's just from this point forward, oh, I read it, I didn't mean to see it, but now that I saw it, I'm being held to this like future test. It's all out here. That's law way of thinking. It's a legalistic way of thinking. Like instead think, no, I have been, even if I don't have seen it. There's zucchini under the leaves for crying out loud. There's tons of zucchini there that you haven't seen. I mean, if it's a dumb plant that has it, how much more is it true in your life, Christian? God is bigger than you think. He's more responsible for your salvation than you think he is. He's in control more than you have ever dreamed possible. He loves you more than the best of romance stories that we've ever written or read or, or seen or experienced in life. He's he is the great husband who will never leave us to our own devices, who will constantly give us whatever we ask. But we have to ask in one sense, you could say, right? Whether literal or spiritual. Um, he's the giver. We don't have anything. All that we have are gifts, not things that we've manufactured by ourselves. Even good things, especially good things, you could say. All right, but then I'd say, but again, even if you aren't bearing fruit, and at times you won't, so again, it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but I kind of am, but it's just, it's true. Uh, maybe many times we'll feel like, ah, you know. I would say, remember Jesus was cut off for you. That's the gospel in this passage. Remember Jesus became the dead branch um, so that you might be grafted on. Um, and, and this is another metaphor in the New Testament. I, I realize it's not here explicitly, but elsewhere it is, the idea of grafting. Um, you know what grafting is? Just the idea of grafting on branches, right? So the, the idea is that we're not connected to Jesus or to God, but he grafts us on. But the idea is that something has to be cut off first. That's from Romans 11, I believe, is somewhere in that, in that context. And so, again, something had to suffer so we could be... Something had to die. Think of all the animals that died in the Old Testament so that forgiveness could come in. I mean, it's all over the Bible, and it's right here in John 15. Suffering is happening so that you can bear the fruit of salvation. It's not just that you bear fruit. It's a death had to occur. 
So then last, kind of going off this, notice it's not just abide in me, but abide in my love. Do you guys notice that, how he gets more specific? So in the spirit of that, abide in the fact that he was cut off for you. Remain with Jesus. Um, you know, if you're new to Jesus, uh, to Christianity, I'd just say this is how the Bible talks and thinks and how Christians try to think, you know, is that we're, we're specific when it comes to love. We're not vague. So, not that vague love is bad necessarily all the time. It's just that the Bible doesn't talk. It's not just that God loves you. It's how did God love you? That's the question. How? In what way? John 3.16 actually is probably better translated. Uh, God loved the world in this way. Not so loved the world, though it's the same thing. It's just English, right? Uh, But God, in this way, loved the world. He sent his son to die for us that we might not perish if we believe in him. And so, um, so Jesus here, again, is starting broad, abide in me, but then what I really want, abide in my love. This is where he showed his love for us. Because greater love has never been shown at any point in history than that. That's the greatest form of love that's ever been shown anywhere by anyone and ever will be. This is what Jesus says. Not that you have to believe that, but I'm saying this is what Christianity says. This is what the Bible says. It, it, it ranks love. It ranks it. There are greater and lesser forms. This is the greatest form, the highest, that no one will ever match, and we're not asked to. We're asked to receive from his, not to copy it, to image it in lesser ways to each other, absolutely, but not to do this for God with your, with your life. Uh, God loves us too much to ask that, and we see this here, that's to push the metaphor, to push the analogy. Um, he's the one. He's the one. He's the gardener with his nail-pierced hands and dirt underneath his fingernails, calluses, on his knees, under this, under like when Jesus was baking at, at high noon, remember that? He was on the cross, just suffering, sweating, gasping for air. This is the work of the gardener. And so abide in his love. Remain in the fact that you're loved by him more than you'll ever love God. Uh, remain in Jesus. Remain with his people, the church, and pray for fruit. And always remember that Jesus promises to remain with us and to never leave us or forsake us, even if we feel like we have, we're tempted to leave him or we feel like we have. He ne- will never leave us, um, so stay connected to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, uh, for what it means to us, um, and the, um, man, yeah, again, frustrating but beautiful call um, to, to bear fruit, to do something we can't do. Uh, but I pray that you would do it. I pray that, um, that, thank you that you have. Every Christian here has borne fruit, and so they won't be cut off. Uh, but I pray that more would, that as you say, Jesus, you, or God, you prune, that more fruit would be, I pray that you would prune us and nourish us on the vine and draw us to Jesus, that even more fruit could be born to your glory, not to our credit, but to your glory, as this passage says. That's different. To say to our credit would be works, but to say to God's glory is grace. And uh, so I pray for uh, myself, everyone here um, who's a Christian, do that. If they're not, not a Christian, thank you that you love them as well and help them to see Jesus and believe for the first time. But, um, but we just thank you, God, for being 
for sending your son to, to be the branch, to be the dead branch and to be cut off uh, and to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill prophecy in that way um, as you first saw it. In Christ we pray, amen.